just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the stable with us. Glad to have you here. Thanks for hit the download button. If you're new to the show, this show is about helping get your mojo working in and out of the workplace. We just find interesting people that we think have got their mojo going. We talk to them, find out their tricks of the trade and usable practical stuff that you can put into your life, perhaps share with a friend or a family member or take into work and share it with your work buddies or your brand. That's what the show is all about. If you've been with us on the journey for a while, you're a regular mojo-ite. Nice to have you back again this week. Another great fact, this is a cracking show talking about business, brand, strategy, marketing. But before we jump into the saddle, uh, Robbo, how are you going today, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you. And yourself? Very good. I'm not exactly sure why I've got horses and stables and saddles <laughs> in the introductions. I'm actually, I think I might have a little bit too much coconut oil for breakfast. This yeah, morning. I think living on a farm is <laughs> doing something to your head, mate, by the sounds of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you might be right. So, uh, um, how, how's uh, how's things, buddy? Mate, things are really things are really good, actually. I um towards the end of last year, I think it was just before Rocktober, we're talking to uh, Doctor Smith, Smithy, <laughs> Smithy, Smithy, <laughs> about um about the health benefits of smoothies and all that sort of stuff. And I I made the conscious decision to um to give it a go, and it's been what three or four months now, and um. I, I was just going to say, I've really noticed the um, the difference with my Crohn's and, and all that sort of stuff. It's really made a big difference to um, to my health and my well-being. So, um, so, yeah, so I thought that was an interesting observation. Now, it's probably just important to qualify what's in your smoothie because mm. you could go to some of these takeaway stores <laughs> and supposed juice bars <laughs> and get a smoothie which is nothing but processed sugar coloured. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is not what you're... What, what are you, what are no, you having okay, in so your smoothie that Smitty recommended? Smitty? Well, my smoothie changes daily but I do have a base that I start from um, and it's ice and water um, and then kale and spinach and blueberries, turmeric and coconut oil. Um, and then from there, it's, you know, anything from, um, we talked about cherries on the show. I use those occasionally. Uh, what else goes in there? Apple, pear, sometimes banana. Um, actually, half a banana goes in each one. Sometimes yogurt, sometimes no yogurt. Uh, anything else I can get my hands on. Um, soaked almonds are another good one that I found recently. Yeah, good, yep. So, yep. Um, yep. so, yeah, a whole bunch of different things. You can use soaked almonds to make your own almond milk as well. There's, If you go on to Dr. Google, hmm. you'll see there's lots of different people talk about how you can make your own almond milk using real almonds. Surprise, oh, surprise. Okay. Wow, there you go. I have to give that a go. Now, it's had a, it's had a big impact on your Crohn's too, right? Yeah, it really has. I, um, Crohn's is, for, for those people who don't know, is an inflammatory bowel um, thing, which is, you know, triggered by your immune system. And um, there are obvious ways that you know that your bowels aren't working correctly. And when your bowels aren't working correctly, neither is your brain. Um, and uh, I can honestly report that both are working so much better. Um, and it's really, it's taken probably a couple of months to get to that point. It's probably only been the last month that I've really noticed the difference. But um, yeah, it's certainly doing what it, what Michael promised it would. This would be a good segue for a Mojo Radio Show Rewind. It probably would. Hearing you talk about this is probably at the core of the Mojo Radio Show is that folks, each week we look to find somebody we can talk to to give us real life valuable, practical tools and tips we can put into place. Mm-hmm. The challenge with this is actually taking the info and doing something with it because we're being hit with so much information. 
Hearing you talk about the smoothie situation with Smithy, with Michael Smith, who is a regular on the Mojo Radio Show, we've been talking about Crohn's and smoothies for some time, yet it took probably like, maybe close on a year for the penny to really drop for you to have a crack at it, didn't it? Yeah, probably. It was probably more than, uh, uh, probably rather than just to have a crack at it, probably to actually get the initiative and get off my butt and do something, yes. You're and consistently right. do it. And consistently do it, yes, absolutely. Now, we had health and wellness expert, uh, Sean Stevenson. Now, Sean Stevenson was number one on iTunes in the wellness podcast segment with his show called The Model Health Show. And Sean kindly came on to the Mojo Radio Show. It was a fantastic show, one of our best ever shows, episode 32. Here's what he said about making a decision. When you make a real decision about something, you cut away the possibility of anything else except that thing, except that outcome. I've decided to do this. Nothing is going to stop. And so, and that's actually from the Latin day, meaning from and kaidir, which means to cut. So you cut away, the, cut away the possibility of failure. So when I decided to get well, this brought on a whole list of, uh, of different mental programs, really, you know, and just... Number one, I start to ask more empowering questions instead of like, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why won't somebody help me? Which our brain is actually hardwired to answer questions. What is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to do to have the health and vitality that I really want? That was a great show, wasn't it? It was a great show. And it did, obviously it was great because it rated its head off on, yeah. on our iTunes feed. Mm. The thing that I took from that was you know, to cut off, to make a decision is to cut off. There's no possibility of going back and actually putting the rubber on the road. The second part I liked about that was taking responsibility for your own health. And sadly mm. today we put our health in the hands of other people. We don't mm. take responsibility for it. So good on you, mate. And I, I can honestly say in the studio, I have noticed a definite difference in the last number of months with uh, just calmer and more centered and just more together. So um, it's, well, it's, it's very powerful. It's good stuff. It's nice to know someone else is noticing it. Now, you know, the only thing that's missing from my morning smoothie. Tim Tams? No, no. The only thing that's missing from my morning smoothie would be some hive honey. Well, <laughs> I've got a little story for you, my friend. Oh, you wouldn't have any hive honey though, would you? I do. <laughs> because we have three hives um, on our property. And yes. There's a couple of things with this. I'm not going to take a long time, but just, just on honey. Mm. People think that honey is honey. Mm -hmm. However, the honey in most supermarkets and stores right now is, is a product known as honey, but it's not honey. No. Now, you like your stats. Mm -hmm. So it takes 60,000 bees collectively traveling 55,000 miles Mm. and visiting more than 2 million flowers to gather enough nectar to make one pound of honey. Wow. The challenge today mm. is that what's in our stores is actually not honey. Now, the food safety news in the United States did a survey and they uncovered and said that 76% of honey samples bought at grocery stores. You're talking Safeway and Harris Teeter, like the big, the big, grocery stores. Yep. 76% were absent of any pollen. What? 77% of honey at board of the big box stores like Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart and Target were absent of pollen. Mm -hmm. And 100% of honey sampled from drugstores like Walgreens, Rite Aid and so on were absent of pollen. 
Wow. Isn't that staggering? Wow. That's weird. So what are they doing to it? Where's all this pollen disappearing to then? The reason for my story is that bees work very hard to get this honey to us, but yes. not all honey is created equally, right? No. The antibacterial activity in some honeys mm. is 100 times more potent than in others. Mm. And the processing of refined honey, which is what the typical honey brands in supermarkets and stores like that are doing, mm. What they're doing is it's so highly processed, it's actually taking all the prebiotic antibacterial value out of the honey. Yeah. So that a large percentage of what we are now consuming is, and in some cases it's not just processed, they're actually calling it ultra processed. So it takes all the goodness out of the honey. Now honey is very good for your guts. It's a very good, what they call a mm. prebiotic. Mm. So it is very healthy for you. Mm. However, I'll have a caveat for you. Be careful with how much you have because honey in itself is very good as a prebiotic for your gut. The other part of it though is it's high in fructose. So people who are insulin resistant uh, have to be very careful because it can wreak havoc with your system because it does contain fructose. So if you are gonna have, as I do, a teaspoon of honey every day, it has to sit within your boundaries of how much fructose you're prepared to have in a given day. And you should just check with your health professional like Smithy to mm. make sure that honey will fit in with your, particularly if you're insulin resistant. So I'm just gonna caveat that. But the point of my story is that when you go to a supermarket and buy what you think is honey, and last week some mates and I did a taste test. I took down some honey, which was basically a couple of hours out of the hive. Ugh, yum. And we tasted that in a blind taste test against what we had got from the supermarket and made it was chalk and cheese. Yeah. The yeah. stuff in the supermarket basically was tasteless compared to a real honey. So my word of advice for our listeners is find, is an apiarist? Yes. Somebody who sure runs is. bees for a living. Yep. Uh, it's not that expensive. You find them on most roadsides. Buy it from the guy who runs the bees. It is such a great flavor. Your kids will love it. Be wary of how much you have, but it's mm. so much better for your gut than the stuff we're buying from supermarkets. So um, that's my rant. Can I just add to what you've just said there? I, I actually have a little old man who lives two suburbs away from me who, um, who has his little shed that he's built out the front and he's there on a Saturday and a Sunday selling his honey. I get, uh, it's probably, I don't know, he doesn't weigh it, it's just in a tub, but I reckon it would easily be a good kilo of hive honey off this guy, 15 bucks, and it lasts, yep. you know, lasts, what, a month probably for that? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it's not hard to find, it's not expensive. Seriously, why would you buy the supermarket crap? Let's be honest. It's so much better for you. I mean, there's so many yeah. reasons. The pollen and that sort of stuff is good for your guts and, mm. uh, and it just tastes better, man. It just... That's right. Anyway. There you go. And you're doing, and you, this, if you saw this little old Italian guy, I'll, I'll take a photo and face, Facebook it next time I go out to see him. He's so lovely. And um, yeah, why not give him the money too? You know, that's the other yeah. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. All right, we've got a big show, mate. Let's get into it. Okay. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. On last week's show, we mentioned a, an Instagram feed that I had seen by a guy called Darren Altclass. Mm -hmm. And I had been very impressed with his feed. And then I signed up for his blog and he wrote a blog, which I thought was quite fascinating about social media, our use of social media and times to post. 
Yep. Darren runs his own agency and I, I come across a lot of guys in the ad, ad industry and a lot of guys are working now in digital to social, but I like Darren's approach to how he does stuff. It's very down the line. There's a bit of science to back it up. And I just think he really packages up his stuff very well. So as I promised on last week's show, I got in touch with Darren, invited him on the show. Thankfully, he said, yes, we have him on the line. So, Darren, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you. Thanks. Nice to be part of it, mate. Just to start us off, mate, can you give us an idea of the sort of work you're doing on a day-to-day basis and the sort of people you'd be doing it for? Basically, I'm, I'm helping people build their brands and build brands um, that kind of make a difference, um, brands that kind of have a story that either meets a, a need or an aspiration, um, for their audience. So it's divided amongst both small and large businesses. For example, I've got um, an athletic shoe company I work with, um, a whole food supplier. I'm working with a, a reasonably large tourism region, so selling the region, uh, a coffee roaster and a chain of cafes to a hi-fi home entertainment brand, um, a car part manufacturer. So it's pretty kind of eclectic. It's, it's pretty... Um, Broad. There's no rhyme or reason um, with the industry, but what I try and do is work with people who believe what I believe, mm. rather than um, sticking in to one particular industry. And, and and when I say that is is like I believe that brands can actually make a difference, and that the goal for a brand is not to actually make money, but to provide value. Money is just something that needs to happen to survive, but, I, like, I'm not interested in working with people who are just about making money. It's yeah. got to be, uh, and this is why I kind of like choose these clients, is that they actually all feel like they're adding value to their community or the world in some way. Yeah. And, like, for me, I've got, to, I've got to have that to be passionate about what I'm doing with them. So it kind of gives you a broad view, and it's mainly around brand strategy, um, helping them to identify why their brand matters and then craft that into a brand story and then how to tell that story across all the different platforms on a day-to-day kind of basis. So let's just go back to you said you wanted brands that believe in the same things you do. Can you just give us a a bit of a snapshot of, (coughs) so from Darren's perspective, what do you believe in about brand and marketing today? Right. Well, look, I, I believe that not just non-profits but for-profits can actually make a significant um, difference to the world, like adding value to, at the micro and the macro level. So uh, I believe that brands should actually be focusing on being valuable, not being successful. Um, and when you are being valuable, then you actually become very successful. Um, so what I believe and who I want to work with is brands, um, business owners that feel the same way, that they're not in it just to get the money, but they're in it to actually do something um, of value and that they're passionate about that. If there was a tip you would give somebody, you know, whether they are running a business with, you know, 800 staff, the business is 40 years old and they want to move into a new area or a new style or tone of brand or it could be somebody who has a small jewellery company they're just starting out and they go you know what I'm missing that I need to get that 
How would you say someone goes about finding those three words? <coughs> right. Well, that, that's a great question. That's a long process. Um, <laughs> You've got 60 it, seconds. Go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a long process, but the value you get out of it is like it's invaluable mm. because it becomes everything. It becomes the, the set of glasses that you look at every single decision that you make. And so I think it comes down to a question of why does your brand matter? That's it. And if you can answer that question, then I think that's where you, you build your story. Like a brand story essentially is the value that you offer that meets an either an, a need or an aspiration of your audience. That's it. Mm. Um, and and you, look, you find with all this new technology and all these new marketing platforms, it's so clear that most of the people have no freaking idea, unfortunately, because you look at and it's just content for content's sake. It's just picture after picture after quote after quote and there's no story behind it. They don't even know why their brand matters or the story that they're telling. And, like, if you just step back for a moment and ask that question, like, what, why does my brand matter and what, what need or aspiration does it meet? And then you tell that story over and over and over and over and over again in different ways. And that's it. It's as simple and as complicated as that, I guess. Mm. We... Um as I said at the top of the show, you and I met through Instagram and I look at how you're doing things on your Instagram account and the photography, the presentation, the visuals are just quite stunning. And backing that up, you have your message, which always for you, I seem is kind of on brand. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we're becoming more articulate in terms of our visuals for making a brand choice? Oh, definitely. I think people expect more for sure. They expect more simply because there's more choice now. There's more content. And, like, I don't think humans have changed at all. Um, they still want the same things and they still get influenced the same way, um, but it's just more potent now because there's so much content and it moves so quickly. Mm. And so it's harder to get an individual to make a decision to buy something from you or donate something to you. Um, so therefore I think you need to, you know, obviously stand out by having great content based on what your story is, but then you need to make it look great, obviously, mm, and mm. compelling. Um, but you not only need to make it look great, you need to make it engaging and engage with these people. So it's not broadcast anymore, it's engagement. You can't just broadcast your content and never engage with people. It's, people expect a conversation. Now. Have you had experience with that through the clients you're working with, mate, where you have visually improved the look, the tone, the presentation of their brands through their website, their social, oh, their packaging, yeah. their point of sale and seen a big difference? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, I won't tell you um, the name of this of this region because I'm going to give you some figures and um, they might not want me to tell you that. But uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a tourism, tourism region, right? And um, basically uh, they had a pretty outdated website from my perspective but from – you know, the landscape of websites, it was pretty good. Um, the imagery was not that compelling. They didn't have a clear story. So basically we came in and um, did that whole process of finding the right story um, for the right people and then um, worked at how we're going to tell that story visually 
um, through photography, through videography and through written word and how we apply that on all their digital platforms basically. So we did that. That was like a six-month process basically. Up to that stage, they had maybe a couple of thousand people visiting their website um, a month and the region was maybe making um, like from what we could track about a million dollars a year kind of in sales. Yeah. Whether it was a restaurant or accommodation or whatever. Um, so after the six months, we started to build the assets. So the first was discovery phase. Then we started to build the assets. Then after 12 months, we started to launch this new content. Um, after the first 12 months, um, they had 400,000 visitors to the website. Um, we built their social media platforms from nothing to, say, 5,000 each, which is not big, but there are 5,000 engaged people, not 500,000 and 1,000 engaged. It's high engagement. Um, and we could track um, $12 million worth of sales in one mm. year. Mm. Um, that's an, in an investment all up of maybe $150,000. Yep. So I think that's a pretty good return on investment. They spent about one hundred fifty grand, um, not just on me, but on the whole thing of <laughs> content creation. I wish it was just on me, but on content <laughs> creation. But, but, you, but we could track that they got we, – we saw the bump up to, you know, close to 12 million in revenue. I find that interesting though. I, I would, I wonder in a lot of cases, Darren, whether that's an excuse for people not to do it. Because when I work with businesses when you're on the speaking circuit going around, I would imagine a lot of people in an audience would think the same thing. They go, oh, it's okay for them. They've got a sexy coffee. You can yeah. show nice coffee shops next to a yeah. journal and yeah. or you can show a nice pot of tea with a plant next to it or you can show a nice <laughs> yeah. beach or landscape. Yeah. But, mate, I'm an engineering company. Mate, I make bull bars for trucks. Mate, I make – in my mind, I think it's a bit of a cop-out because I still believe, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, that you must work with some brands that don't think they're sexy in terms of their presentation, but you can find a way to make it look great, right? Oh, of course, of course. And it all comes down to – like what value are you offering, what's your story, and then how are we mm. going to tell that in the best way possible with the budget that you've got. But he, he, here's a problem that most people, that I, I see a lot, people are, are not willing to invest in this. Yeah. And if they're not willing to invest in this, I, can, I can't create any magic for them. Mm. I can't, like, um, like there's no magic in, in this game. It's, it's strategy, it's hard work, it's, you know, being a perfectionist, it's being focused, like there's no magic in, there's no silver bullet. Um, if you want, you've got to do, now you don't have to spend 150 grand, there's cheap ways to do it and now there's more technology, you know, more access to ways that, you know, you want to create your own website, go for it. You go jump on Squarespace and get something quite beautiful in a day. Yeah. Yep. Like you can do it like it's accessible but they're still very reticent to spend money and, um this is one of my um, observations, and I think it's right, is that the person who's willing to spend the most to acquire a customer is always the person who's going to win, mm. always. So if you want to win, you invest time and money into building a brand. That's it. Um, if you're going to build, you know, you're going to spend 50 grand on creating assets and a strategy, great, you know, make sure that over the next two years you get that back plus you know, another 50 grand, whatever. Um, and that's not that difficult, but people are very 
I've not got one client that actually borrowed money to do this. Yeah. And which is a little bit disappointing to me because people are, are not willing to take a risk to build. A, like to me to like I, I, I had a, a quite a large brand agency that I got rid of just because of lifestyle. It was just crazy. Um, so I, I've built this company that I'm running now, I've just built from scratch and I took, you know, because of non-competition clauses and all that, I had to start from scratch. Um, so, you know, I risked a lot. Um, I don't find anyone really willing to take those risks anymore. And, and I think if you're not willing to take those risks, you're going to get small return. So in, in terms of priority, Darren, I guess people are more likely to want to take a risk if it's a high enough priority. If, if one is it's not a priority at all, doesn't even hit the Richter scale, and 10 is it's the most important thing on the planet. For most people, where do you think brand sits? I know it's a bit of a loaded question in terms of different sizes of businesses and categories and so on, but in your mind, how important is brand to people today? Do you think it is they, they're treating it as high priority <coughs> as you think it warrants or deserves? Um, some are, some aren't. Some come, they all come at different stages. Some are already yeah, at that yeah. stage and they're, they're passionate, they really want to grow it, they understand how important it is. Um, so we start there. For other people who um, don't, we kind of have to go on a, like an educative process to show them actually how important this really is. Um, and then if, if things that you're doing does not fit into this, then let's not do it or let's fit, bring it back into the fold and make it work. Social media is a classic example um, of that. So I, tr- I try to show them that branding is everything. It's your customer service. It's, it's everything you do. And then marketing is it's you know, it's the other blade in a pair of scissors, basically. So if, if branding is everything you do that creates perception, marketing is everything that you do that creates action. Um, so people get, try to define marketing and sales differently. Yeah. But I, I kind yeah. of bundle it all up in it, – it, it's like a, it's a pair of scissors. You need both blades to cut because perception leads to action. If you can yeah. help people understand that just in their mind and that becomes, a, a you know, a template for their behaviour – so they don't have to go and read a document and read that definition again. It actually becomes part of their behaviour. So you move from paper to practice. What's what's the best piece of advice that's been handed on to you, Darren, by a branding elder? Look, I, I really like reading old school literature, old school. So the older uh, it is, the more excited I am. But so if I can find a book on copywriting that was written 200 years ago, I'll buy it and read it because I'm going to find I'm going to find gold in there because there was less distractions and they're thinking about human behaviour and how to influence that human behaviour. So, you know, um, Claude Hopkins is an old copywriter who there's a fantastic book he wrote. I can't remember what it's called. It's about copywriting and like it's brilliant. Um, so I, I kind of tend to be eclectic and just find what I can find. Um, so reading, you know, old school stuff. I, you know, I don't have any kind of mentors. As such, I just read a lot and try to find the gold or what's applicable in everything, um, and I just watch what other people are doing. Um, so I think one of the most switched-on guys at the moment would be Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, if you've ever seen any of his stuff, he's pretty. No, he's pretty. Um, Arrogant's not the right word. He's very confident, and he knows it. And he he like he, he's a massive personal brand. Um, he built his father's wine 
store from very small to massive, basically using social media before social media existed, basically by using YouTube and um, you know, everything that came out early, he jumped on and made it work. Right. Um, now he's got a very big agency called Vayner Media, um, and that's very big. It's one of the hottest digital agencies around. Um, but he's basically building his own brand. He, he wrote, he's written a couple of books, but one book was called Jab, 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 Right Hook, um, which, you know, and what I love about this guy, coming back to that old school theme, is that he grew up in Belarus, in Russia, very hard circumstances. They came to America sponsored by an uncle. When they got to America, the uncle, they found out that the uncle had just died. So they land in America as a Russian family, can't speak any English, they've got no sponsor. So they live in poverty basically for years. The father goes and gets a job at you know as a stock boy in a wine store, in a liquor store. Then he builds up. Eventually, he owns that store, and his son works it. Like it's a really compelling story because these guys made it work from nothing. Um, but what I love about his stuff is that he applies old school philosophy yeah. to a, to a new context. Um, it's really, really quite compelling. And he, in his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, the whole idea is you don't just sell, 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 sell. You've got to give, 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 sell, give, 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 sell. So when you're doing anything, whether it's you know email marketing, social media, um, always build value, give, 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 give value, give value, give value, then ask for the sale rather than ask for the sale immediately. It's, it's very old school, but it works really well. That's gold. That is gold right there and then their marketing tools. Um, do you think, you just mentioned old school books on creativity, creative thinking, copywriting. Yeah. Do you think social media can enhance <coughs> our creative minds? Because there is, there is a school of thought that social media is killing our creative minds because of our always being connected and we're always absorbing somebody else's creativity and we're not creating ourselves. Where do you sit on that? Do you think it can enhance our creative minds if used properly or do you think it is stifling our creativity? I think it's like any new tool that comes along. Um, I think it was um, Winston Churchill who said, we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. Mm. Um, and so if you take that, you know, we shape our technology and then our technology shapes us. So we create it and then it, it shapes the way that we behave. So, yeah, definitely it changes our behaviour, but I think um, it's how you embrace and use the tool. This is why with my strategy I always tell people don't fuss over the tool, fuss over the story. Use the tool. The tool is just a means to an end. See, let's take social media because it's a classic example. Most people want to be successful at social media. And when I start a social media strategy with a brand, I always tell them the goal is not to be successful in social media. The goal is to be successful in business by using social media. It's a completely different mindset. So you don't go for the likes. You don't go for the follows. That's totally irrelevant. Everyone goes, oh, that person's got 10,000 followers. Who cares? I want to know what the engagement and what business outcomes you're going to get. So... It's the same thing about creativity. You gra you take a tool and you use it to get the outcome you want. You don't let it shape you as much as it, as it is shaping a lot of people. So, Darren, finish this sentence for me. I wish brand owners would take the time to dot, dot, dot. Think about why they matter. 
Full stop. And if you can tell me that in a conversation over a cup of coffee, why your brand matters, we can build a great brand strategy. If you can't, we have to going to go back and get that storyline. Because mm. there's like there's no there's no there's going to be no success if you just market 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 without having that understanding of what you're telling. Like you're just going to be talking to no one if you don't have a compelling story that's going to connect with a need or an aspiration. People will not listen. No matter how many times you post, no matter how beautiful your photos are, after the first ten photos, you think beautiful, 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 beautiful. All of a sudden, it becomes a pattern to a human. And they don't think, look at it anymore because there's no depth to it. Yeah. But if there's, like, what, coming back to the beginning, you said how we connected was, yeah, there was some nice photos to look at, but there was some interesting content that made sense or connected with a need or an aspiration. So you wanted to continue that relationship. Um, because I've worked hard on what my story is. Um, so I wish brand owners would just take a step back and, and think about why they matter. Do you have a favourite Instagram account or somebody that you, someone or a business you follow on Instagram of someone that we could look at that you go, you know what, there's an example of someone who really gets brand. They really have a brand that matters. Yeah. Well, I think any of the big brands, they're normally doing it really quite well. Um, brand like Gary Vaynerchuk, as I said, you know, he does it really quite well because he knows what his audience wants. But, uh, like, to be honest, I don't follow anyone religiously like that. And, in fact, I don't I'm, – I'm not a consumer of social media myself, which is quite ironic. I'm a producer of content on social media and I engage with people on social media. But personally, I don't use it. So on that email marketing is interesting. And I know you've spoken on that online. I've seen some stuff and you yeah. are very passionate about that as a – as a tool to help us promote ourselves. Yeah, yeah. What was the most profound learning you took out that strikes you <coughs> on reflection of all the stuff you read about from Ian Brody and all these guys that you absorbed yeah. yourself in? Yeah. What was the most profound takeout you could share on email marketing? That what people say they want is completely opposite to the way they behave. People say they want emails not regularly and they want them full of images but they behave in the complete opposite direction. The more you email, the more engagement you get, the less unsubscribes you get, the more click-throughs you get, the more sales you get. The less images you use, the more clicks, sales you get. So don't really listen to what people say they want. Look at their behaviour and then, you know, apply your strategy you know, to that. So read the reports. Um, every year... A, um, HubSpot and a few others put out email marketing reports based on billions of emails. They look at the behaviour. I skim read those every year and then I apply. Um, and that was one of the biggest things. So um, because email marketing now is quite, you know, HTML driven and it's driven by designers, they're image heavy. And so email marketing is one of the most personal forms of digital communication apart from text messaging. It's a one-to-one -one medium. Most people use it as a one-to-many. So when they're writing or when they're designing their emails, they're thinking that they're writing to a big group of people. That's a big mistake. If you think mm. that you're writing – so if I'm writing an email, I'm thinking I'm writing this email to Gary. It's very personal. Hi, Gary. You know, blah, blah. You know, I was thinking about you the other day. 
and your gluten-free allergy. And I came across this thing and here's a recipe and here's this. And like you apply that to Gary and you've built your database with people like Gary. It's going to make so much more difference. Mm, that's nice. Um, that's so very good. don't send, send emails with lots of images. It's, it's so personal. It's got to be, you know, and, and long, short, it doesn't matter. So that was a big lesson. And my the biggest win I ever had on email marketing was um, I was always um, dubious about it until a few years ago. I thought it was too old school, wasn't working anymore, everyone had moved on. Um, but I thought, look, you know what, I think the, the guys that are promoting this, I think they, there's something there. So I went back and did a lot of work and then um, I, I've got a little side hobby, side business that, creates allergy-free recipes, basically because my son's got um, five of the top five food allergies that you could can have and wow. we thought, what the heck are we going to do? I've got a chef background, so my wife and I started developing recipes for, for cakes and slices and donuts and all that sort of stuff because the main meals were, were quite simple. So we started developing that. We thought, you know what, this is a massive need, um, but I don't have time to start another business, so we just basically started a hobby. So we started making cakes for local cafes and build up an audience, build up a database, and then we wrote a cookbook. Um, but because I, for six months I did really hard work at providing recipes for free, content, content, but my goal was always to get people off social media onto my database so I had a, a, an audience that I owned that I could communicate with when and how I wanted to, not just a rented audience. So I, I did that and I built a big database. So when we got our cookbook ready to launch, the day I pressed the button to say to the email, the book is now ready for sale, like that first day, like we sold a, such a ridiculous amount of books. Like I was so overwhelmed just through email, through one hmm. email. Um, yeah, crazy. But because I did the hard work of building that database first. Yeah. And when I looked at that, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm sold. This is a very powerful medium. Um, so with all my clients, I say, if you want to make social media work, you've got to build a database, get people off social media, onto your database and into a nurturing strategy on email. How does one build a database, Darren? How does one get those email addresses to build for a database without having to spam people? Is it possible? Oh, definitely, definitely. If you do it right, you never mm. buy a list, never, ever, ever buy a list from anyone. <clears throat> you've just got to build it one by one. And so... Basically, I use um, a whole bunch of strategies. One is called a lead magnet. So I, you offer something of high perceived value for free in exchange for an email address. So you know, whether that is, like for our example in the cookbook, is a gluten-free flour recipe. Um, we offer that and people sign up and they get that. Um, it could be like a document. It could be a report. It could be... Um, you know, any kind of Word document that's made into a PDF with helpful information on it. Um, it could be a discount code. They don't work as well. Um, so um, that's kind of how I started with the cake business, but that's how I do it with all my other clients. We'll offer something of high perceived value for free in exchange for um, their email address. But when you do that, you've got to have a whole bunch of emails ready to go that continue to yeah. nurture those people. So obviously your 
email autoresponder comes and says, here's a gluten-free flour recipe, thanks, blah, blah. Here's a little bit about why we do what we do, etc." Then five days later, oh, you might like this recipe as well. Or So with that example, I've got a year's worth of emails already automated. So when some, if you sign up to my email today, I don't have to do anything to nurture you for, for 12 months. So you are a fan of Seth Godin, who is probably one of the foremost marketing and brand writers in the world. Yep. He wrote a book many moons ago called Permission Marketing, where it wasn't about spamming people, it was basically about asking for permission to talk to them, in which case you have a better engagement. Do you follow that principle with, let's take your cooking, yep. food, allergy, website, email, list. Are you asking permission after the first contact with those people to then say, would you like to continue hearing from us? Yeah, so you put your, your sign-up forms everywhere, basically. So it's on your website, it's on social media, wherever you can. You write an article for someone, you put it at the bottom of the article. It's everywhere. So people are coming into contact with you, with your information, with your brand, with your content all the time, and you're always giving them an opportunity. So if it's not the first time, it might be the tenth time, but mm. people are slowly signing up. So that's the you only need that initial permission. Um, what a lot of people do is sign up, get the goods, unsubscribe. That's okay. They're probably not going to be your customer yep. anyway. Yep. So the goal once you've got them on is to keep them on, keep them interested and nurture them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Seth Godin, read any of his stuff you can. It, it's fantastic. And yeah, this is basically permission-based marketing. And every email you send to them, you're asking them for permission again, basically in a subtle way. It's like I've still got value to give you. Do you want to stay part of my database? Do you want to keep yep. hearing from me? Um, and that's worked well. Like um, I've got – here's some examples. Like let's, let's, let's look at email marketing social media side by side. On social media, if you get 10% engagement from your audience, you're doing really, really well. And on that 10% engagement, that might filter through to 2% of that 10% of sales. That's, you're doing really well on social media if you get those statistics. On email marketing, you can get a 40% open rate quite easily, regularly, um, and from that 40%, you know, you can get 15 to 20% of that 40% to click through and then to, to get a sale. Like, you can, like it's, when you look at it like that, you think, oh, man, why am I not using email marketing? Because the, the statistics are so much better. Um, but the, I think the, the key is to use both. But I reckon that's, uh, I reckon that's valuable, valuable for all of us. I think we, we can all take something from that. I'm, I'm, I'm very mindful of your time, mate. So I'm just going to, a couple of quick questions to wrap sure. us up and let you get back to your day. Um, Darren, do you journal? Are you a journaler? As in blogging or just personally journaling? Just or? personal personal journaling, either in the morning, nighttime, during the day. Do you keep a journal? Yeah, I've got um, a stack of um, moleskins, big big unlined moleskins hmm. um, and I always do my thinking on paper um, and pencil um, and I don't have a particular time I do it every day but hmm. I do it when I feel I need to do it or I need to think about something a bit more clearly. Um, so when I get a client and I want to understand their brand, I always go to pencil and paper first hmm. um, with no distractions, no um, other influences, just blank bit of paper and see what 
kind of emerges from my mind. Yeah. Your two passions are coffee and cameras. And you said prior to starting our chat today that you were looking to get better at your photography and it's something you're interested in. What Do you have a, a particular camera you use or a favourite camera that you love? Yeah, I use a, a Fuji X-T1, um, which is a, a pretty nice camera. It's, it's um, a very modern digital camera. It's the latest um, Fuji camera. Um, you can buy lots of fantastic lenses for it. But what I like about it, it's really quite easy to use and it's small. If there is a client listening to this who would like to talk to you more, likes your vibe, wants to follow you, look at some of the material you're posting or doing, uh, where do we send them to, mate? Where, how do we find <laughs> out more about yeah. Darren? Look, mate, I'm the classic mechanic who works on his car. Uh, <laughs> Like after everyone else, and, and if, like I don't even have a website, it's just a holding page. <clears throat> um, because most of my work is word of mouth. Um, uh, and because I do such a good, good job with clients, they tell other people. So that's where I get most of my work. But um, I'm building a lot of products that I'm going to be selling. So I'm going to get my website live in the next eight weeks, hopefully. Um, that's why I jumped on Instagram only, what, two months ago or so. I only just started my Instagram account when you kind of contact me, I only just started that. So mm. you can contact me through there, send me a message. Um, that's probably the easiest place is um, my why, then how Instagram account. Well, I will put those links in the show notes. So if people are interested, they can just go to the Mojo Radio Show, go to the shows and your show will be there. Mate, this has been great. It's been really nice to hook up. Nice hearing your philosophies. Glad you're doing good work. And uh, we share your love and passion for coffee. So hopefully one day, mate, we'll be able to sit down with a good brew and, uh, and talk some more. Yep, sounds good. Send me your address, I'll send you some beans. Thanks, Darren. Really appreciate your time, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure. The Mojo Radio Show. You know what I like about that interview the most? What? Jesse's has got a top name. Top name? <laughs> Darren. Top I mean, name. You know, what more could you want? He's got to be a nice guy, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know, uh, I know you've got some news on a band to mm. take us out. Mm. But when I think back through our time in the House of the M's, the Halcyon Triple M days, the good old days, mm. if I had to name the top three bands that come to mind immediately when I think about my time at the M's, mm. REM would be right at the top of that list. Oh, totally. Yeah, really. They were prolific back in the 80s and the 90s with the stuff they were pumping out, weren't they? Let's be mm, honest. Absolutely. And Michael Stipe is a really interesting, creative Dude, he's, he's a modern-day style of Bowie where he's such an interesting dude in terms of his creativity, his writing, his philosophies, how he embeds photography. He's, he, he's very fascinating. Mm, he is. He's, uh, he's creative in more ways than just music, that's for sure. He's um, mm. a very talented man. But um, the, uh, the nothing definite, but rumours on the internet this week that um, they're actually back in the studio. There are some rumours abounding that they've actually put down eight tracks already and uh, just about finished recording a new album with a tour to follow. So um, right. that would be nice to see, wouldn't it? Mm, very nice to see the guys back on the, on the road again. And that's, I've got to say, having seen them live, great show. Do you know what? I've seen the good and the bad of REM. I, I went to see REM in Perth and it was the first show of a world tour. They actually were kicking off the show and Michael Stipe stood in front of a lectern with the what looked like the lyrics on the lectern in front of him for the whole show and just sang from this lectern. 
Um, but then I've also seen them in full flight and they were absolutely awesome. So um, maybe the message is if you're in Perth, check whether it's the first show of the world tour or not. <laughs> yeah, maybe the jury's out then. Let's leave it at that. Well, this might actually help clear things up. I did find this little piece of Michael talking about exactly that. I go into a trance often when I perform and um, I forget the words. So I always have them up there in case I need it. So there you go. Perhaps, uh, perhaps there's a reason there after all. But I got to say, if you get the opportunity to catch REM live, you're not going to go wrong. They're awesome. Mm. To get us out this week, I don't know about you, but this is one of my favourite REM songs with a bit of a message to it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Cool. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and aeroplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I am a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Feed it up and not speak. Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com.
Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. <laughs>